Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of SourceFind Asia, co-host and manager of the podcast, and the host of the SourceFind Asia YouTube channel. Um, in this podcast episode, this is part two of a two-part episode that I, I did with Lorenzo Payman. Um, in part one, we covered his life before China in Canada, working in the oil fields, kind of saving up money, coming to China, discovering, enter China um, at the time called the Elevator Life, sort of planting those seeds of, of coming to China. And then uh, how he eventually made it down here and his experiences coaching uh, a team up in Hangzhou. Uh, you know, I think it was like a you know middle school team up in Hangzhou uh, getting into an accelerator program, um, almost getting investors from that program and leading into him moving to Hong Kong and starting his current business. Um, so if you haven't listened to part one, go back to listen to part one. As I mentioned before, Lorenzo was a big part of the reason why I came to China and we talked about that. I, I believe we talked about it in part one and expanded on it again in part two. So in part two, we'll be talking about his current business, um, why he re- relocated to Hong Kong, the advantages of that, and what his plans are for the future. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. So, yeah, so as I said, it was around uh, Christmas 2018. I was about to do my uh, visa run because I had a business visa and I had to leave uh, China every every two months. So usually what I would do, I would fly to Hong Kong from Hangzhou uh, for a day or two and then spend a few days in Shenzhen, catch up with my friend and go back to Hangzhou. So at that time, I, I was basically wondering what the hell I'm going to do next. I can't get a job in China. And because I don't have the proper visa, I have a business visa and I didn't want to, you know, didn't want to go do a teaching job or whatnot. I wanted to pursue entrepreneurship. And yeah. And went down the route of actually getting a, a work visa mm-hmm. for a school. Yeah. It's a complicated oh, big process. Time, especially one, now. And then two, you're kind of, you're kind of tied to that school. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Especially nowadays. You know? So you, you don't really have the flexibility no. to, to. Yeah. That. And that was also around the time that uh, I'm sure you remember. Around December 2017, where this Huawei fiasco occurred between Canada and China, and me being Canadian, even though I had nothing to uh, to uh, to fear because I'm a, I'm not involved in politics or anything like that, but still in the back of your mind, you always wonder whether you, you might be, uh, you know, targeted or whatnot. So my buddy Lucian is also from Canada. He called me. He said, "Lorenzo, I, at the time I was in Shenzhen, just about to to cross the border to Hong Kong." He said, "Buddy." You know, the time he was in, in Vietnam, he said, buddy, what the hell are you doing in China? Get the hell out of here before you you get into trouble. And I started to freaking out as, uh, as I was on my way to the border in Futian, <laughs> in Shenzhen. I was shaking, dude. I was shaking. So um, I was praying and and, and, and uh, fingers crossed, said, please, please let me, uh, let, let make it that they don't give me trouble. And, and thank God it was just like a, like a breeze of formality. Like it's always been, I've never had any issue with the Chinese uh, borders or anything like that. But uh, yeah, so um, after that, we, we talked. And uh, and one night when I was back in Hangzhou on a cold, rainy Tuesday night, um, I was in Hangzhou wondering what the hell I'm going to do. And he called me. It was around 8 o'clock. He said, I need to talk to you. I have uh, something I want to talk to you. He said, what? He said, he has a business that he wants to start. I want you to uh, not work work for me, but I want you to partner with me. I have this uh, amazing opportunity for a watch uh, business, watch brand. And you come to Hong Kong, I'll take care of everything. And just like in Shark Tank, especially when Mark Cuban makes uh, makes an offer, he said, you have 24 seconds to make a decision. Just like a shot clock. He said, mm. I-, I want an answer right now. I will not hang up before I get the answer that I want. So he said, listen, buddy, you come to Hong Kong, I take care of everything. We get this uh, project going. But I need an answer. And I need the answer that I want. I want a yes. No is not an option. That's exactly what he told me. He said, no is not an option. <laughs> and I said, okay. So uh, we started the conversation at 8 o'clock. Finally, at 2 a.m., we finally hanged up. And uh, I just uh, stared at the at the, uh, at the ceiling. I said, what am I going to do? I took a big uh, 
breath and I said, okay, let's do it. So I booked a one-way ticket to Hong Kong a couple of days later. And I arrived in Hong Kong in uh, late January of 2019. And I've been there ever since. And then that's how we uh, ended up connecting again. Yeah. It was uh, around the Global Sources Summit. I was, uh, I was speaking at the, the summit yeah. and I came into Hong Kong. And then at the same time, you had just come from Chris Davies' Amazon yeah. event. And you guys did the little rooftop bar, which I rooftop um party which I, which I thought was cool and yeah it was funny because there's a lot of there's a lot of cool it, people it was there. funny because uh, exactly for Chris Davies event in Guangzhou so me and Lucian we before that we said okay let's organ let's let's organize an event where only the brightest the best will be there so we went first at Chris, during Chris Davies uh, event we just went around the both, both of us uh, networking like crazy talking to people and telling hey my name is Lorenzo we're doing e-commerce and we're going to be organizing a uh, a high-level mastermind private party, but uh, it's not open for anyone. You have to qualify. People say, what, what's a requirement? How do we qualify? Well, it's only, it's only open for people doing at least $50,000 US per month in revenue on any platform, whether it's Shopify, mm. Amazon, whatever. And I said, do you qualify? And they would say yes or no. And obviously, we would not uh, verify their, their whatever they were saying. We just took their word. And... Um, and we just used that, that principle and we managed, long story short, between Chris Davies' event and even we attended the uh, Global Source the first day in Hong Kong. It was a Saturday. And uh, that day, we were just going around, talking, networking like crazy, absorbing as much information as we could and just approaching people and telling them, listen, we're doing this. Do you qualify? Yes or no? If, if yes, we would add them on a WeChat group. And we would uh, invite them for the event on Sunday night. And uh, we were expecting, we thought if we could get 20 people, it would be amazing, but fine. But eventually we managed to, to, to bring, uh, I believe, 60 people. The, entire, the rooftop was packed. And it was packed with very high-level people. Mm. There was one lady, a Hong Kong lady from, from Vancouver, who's doing $1.5 million a month on Shopify selling phone cases. And they're selling it around uh, and the U.S. And, chi and China and Canada and all of the Apple stores. So that was amazing. And we had a few other guys doing 150, 200K on Shopify in Europe. And one French guy doing 200K a month on Shopify. Another one doing, uh, an, it an Italian guy doing uh, almost uh, 300,000 a month on Shopify just in, in Italy. So we had very high level people. It was absolutely amazing. But the most important thing, I mean, the, the, the part that really blew my mind is not the, the amount that they were generating, but how humble, how approachable, how down-to-earth these people were. Absolutely, that's the thing that really blew me away. Because here's in front of you, you you're just rubbing shoulders with people doing way over six-figure a month on various platforms, and they're just talking to you like, you would never think that these people are absolutely destroying it. They were so approachable, so humble, so friendly it was uh, it was beyond anything you can imagine so that's the best part for me uh, from that event and we made some absolutely killer connections and uh, you were also invited obviously because i know you and i know that you're really doing very well as well so when i met you at that event i said rico no is not an option you have to be there buddy <laughs> so, so yeah so so, okay, specifically, what are you guys working on right now? Well, right now we're trying to uh, basically uh, getting off the ground the watch business. And uh, it's been, we're trying to to sell that on Amazon. We get exclusive, exclusive right to sell it on Amazon uh, in the US, Canada, and uh, to start with and eventually to expand to other markets. But it's been taking us way longer than than expected to get uh, approval from Amazon and also waiting for the, for the trademarks so we can apply for brand registry because we have, uh, we're selling high level expensive men watches. The cheapest is like $400 up to $2,000 US. So, and uh, mm -hmm. we could start selling right now, but we don't want to be hijacked or get, you know, so we want to do it properly. We want to have the proper trademarks, brand registry and stuff. And that takes a long time. So while this is waiting uh, to, to be approved, we're working on other projects. I'm helping him with his business. He has a, he has a real estate business. He's doing very well. And also, uh, yeah, so we're trying to explore other opportunities in e-commerce at the same time. What have been 
I mean, obviously in the, in part one, you spoke at length about some of the difficulties you had when you first got to China, but what do you think was the most difficult thing that you experienced when you got to China? And what do you think is the most difficult thing that you're experiencing now? And how did you get over it? For me, the most, the most difficult, challenging thing at China was obviously the, uh, the language and cultural barrier. You know, you're surrounded by people. You've, you will, for anyone who hasn't been to China, you will see more people that you will ever see anywhere in the world, save maybe Tokyo. It's absolutely insane the amount of people you will see. You're surrounded by a sea of people, but yet you feel completely isolated because unless you speak fluent Chinese, nobody, well, very little, not many people will be able to talk to you. You will not be able to read any sign, not understand what's going on. It's very, very humbling as an experience. You will... You will feel like 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 a like a, like a baby who's just starting in life. You will always be dependent on either a Chinese friend or your uh, your translator on your on your phone. So it's 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 not a good feeling. You go to a to a store, you ask a question, everybody's looking at you as if you were an alien, and everybody team bu team you. You know team budong team budong team budong. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, you get in a taxi, you say the name, a very easy name, you say Dagwan. The guy looks at you five times. You show him your same word in Chinese. The guy repeats the same thing. You almost want to headbutt the guy. I said, man, that's what I'm trying to tell you for the past 10 minutes. Uh, it's very frustrating, but you have to control yourself. There's nothing you can do. And that's something you have to live with it, you know. That was the biggest thing for me. I guess, how did you overcome that? Well, it was something that I was very uh, struggling a lot. So um, whenever I could, I had to bring a friend with me or uh, use my uh, use my uh, translator app on my phone. So you must, for anyone coming to China, you must have a good uh, translator app. I was using the Microsoft translator because obviously you cannot use Google uh, Google Translate in China. <laughs> you need a need a VPN. But from the- you can, but because you can download, yeah. you can download the language pack, yeah. packs, so you can use it offline. Mm. Yeah, for me, I was using mm. the Microsoft uh, Translate, which was perfect because it, it translates not only words, but also you can take pictures and it will translate what's on the picture. You can also say words and it will uh, translate it in Chinese. So that was very convenient. Mm. So I used, I've been using that. I still have it on my phone. So that was my main main challenge in China: the uh, language and culture barrier. Culture because what seems logic for us is completely illogic for the Chinese and vice versa. So um, I don't want to get too much into that, but uh, it's very obvious. Things that we would do, you would expect someone to do back in the West, regardless of which country you're from. And China, they will do the complete opposite. So, uh, so that was very frustrating. What is the... What is the biggest challenge you're facing right now? In Hong Kong, um, actually, it's, a, it's two types of challenge. One positive, one negative. Positive is that, the, unlike in Hangzhou, there's in Hangzhou there was no entrepreneur scene. There was no not many events. And when I moved back, so just to come back a little bit, when I moved back from Shenzhen to to Hong Kong, so from Shenzhen to to Hangzhou, at the time I had met Michael Michelini, and uh, at the time, he wanted to expand his Global From Asia events around other cities. And I told him, hey, Mike, I'm going to Hangzhou. If you want, I can, I'll be more than happy to organize events for you in Hangzhou. He said, yes, let's do it. So I started organizing uh, e-commerce events uh, for, for GFA in Hangzhou. At first, we had a good turn, turnout, but eventually it fizzled out and it just died out because people in Hangzhou are not entrepreneurial. You have two types of people especially foreigners, you have either English teachers or you have the expat who live in their own bubble and uh, you don't have many entrepreneurs. So uh, there are a lot of entrepreneurs, but they're Chinese and they prefer to keep to their own. They don't, they don't, they're not too mm. much into mingling and coming into the, the, uh, the English you know, events, unlike in Guangzhou or Shenzhen. So I tried to, uh, to, to build up some events in Hangzhou. The first few was, were good, quite successful, but then after that, it fizzled out and would see the same people. The point of this event is to meet new people. But uh, in Hangzhou, you would end up seeing the same, the same faces. And uh, so I'm mentioning this because when I came to Hong Kong, it was a complete opposite. You had an, an amazing abundance and selection of events every night, multiple events every night. You just have to go on uh, meetup.com or Eventbrite and you will bombard it with events. So way too many options here in Hong Kong, the, the contacts, the connections, the caliber of people we meet. 
absolutely amazing here. So uh, that was uh, that was a good thing. About uh, a negative, uh, you know, challenge in Hong Kong is, as we all know, Hong Kong is very expensive. So you need to have, uh, you need to be in Hong Kong with a reason. You, Hong Kong is not a place to come to bootstrap or just to travel around. Otherwise, it's going to eat you alive. And that that's sometimes yeah. if yeah you you can't you can't pretend it. Hong no, Kong. exactly. Hong Kong is not Chiang Mai. Like, or, you can pretend or, it. Or, 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 yeah, you can pretend in Chiang Mai or, or Bangkok or, or Saigon, but not in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Like that's the thing is like here. Um, like I remember talking to Nick Nick Rabil yeah. about it, and it's like in Guangzhou, maybe not as much. Now. Well, yeah, still, yeah. I mean, the cost of living has gone up, but it hasn't gone up that yeah, much. Yeah. If you were teaching English, you'd be making let's say two to four k a yeah. month, US, right? And then your expenses, your living expenses, food, accommodation, yeah. everything would be like a thousand. Exactly. So then you have a thousand to three thousand dollars disposable income. Mm-hmm. And you know you can go to a nightclub every two every like twice a week, yeah, three times yeah. a week, and get bottle service, and it's mm-hmm. like it's not that much money. Like you'd be spending like maybe a hundred dollars or fifty bucks mm-hmm. or whatever at a time. Yeah. Um, whereas like in Hong Kong, you know, if you have a thousand dollars as disposable income, that that could disappear in a week. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Like for example, when I each time when I was living in Hong Kong, each time I go to China, there are two or three things that. Are blatantly obviously the first one is how the streets are so much bigger, wider, and 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 China. Second of all is how much everything yeah. is so much freaking cheaper, especially when you go for dinner or anything. Yeah. Like in, in a very lavish dinner in in, in Guangzhou, Shenzhen, or Hangzhou, would cost you maybe 100, 150 per person RMBs. And Hong Kong, even a small little uh, dish, it's gonna be like 75, 80 onkis, Hong Kong dollars. Yeah, I just, I just, I just took my 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 staff out for dinner last night. We had like, because um, I have two two interns and all. Uh, one guy who flew in from Canada, another guy yeah. who was from Finland, and we had like a company dinner at like a Sichuanese mm-hmm. restaurant in the IFC building in Guangzhou. Wow! And uh, that's prime real estate. I mean, the, the dinner came out to, yeah, primary exactly. It's like one of those expensive mm-hmm. buildings in the city, prime real estate downtown, heart of downtown. The dinner came out to 550 RMB wow. for for five people. Like, like, oh yeah, you know what I mean. I know we didn't finish the food. Like, I ordered way too much food because I, I said we're doing a Chinese boss style. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I ordered like you know seven, eight dishes. Yeah, and uh, we there's probably enough food for about ten yep. people, and it was like 550. Yeah, exactly. The same thing in Hong Kong would cost you at least. Three to four times more. Like for example, you go for for a drink, just a beer, uh, whether in a bar in Wan Chai or in uh, Long Fu Khan or whatever. A beer is like seventy to eighty Hong Kong dollars. Just a beer. Mm. So mm. if you go, if you want to go for a night drinking, you're looking at five hundred minimum. Or, or even if you want to go have fun and, and go on a date, forget it, man. Just a normal dinner and drink is going to cost you minimum five hundred to one thousand Hong Kong dollars. In China, even mm-hmm. in Shenzhen and Guangzhou. You can get, I mean, you can have a very nice meal for like 150 to 200 per person. I'm talking very nice. So uh, that's it's 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 a, it's a different world here. So that's that's sort of the the difficulties. And then you mentioned already you've been working with Michael Michelini with GFA. Yeah. So is it just specifically events? Because like you were at the Rise Conference and you yes. were like interviewing people, or you you're helping with the podcast? Like, how, what are you doing? Well, uh, doing a few things with them. Uh, we've been working on a few projects together. Um, for Rise Conference, mm-hmm. uh, I was helping him with uh, basically interviewing people for his podcast and uh, blog as well. As, not not for a podcast, sorry, for his for his blog and Facebook page. So so me and. Uh, Lucian and a, and a couple of other guys would just go around, meet as many uh, relevant uh, e-commerce related people, uh, startups, and just un- interview them. On my first day, uh, first day there, I was I was able to do a Facebook Live of uh, Tinder CEO for Global from Asia. Uh, that was pretty interesting. And me, Mike, and Lucian, we went around the floor for about 10, 15 minutes doing a Facebook Live as well. And then the second day, I was just going around uh, meeting as many people. And I met quite a few very interesting startups. The vi- I only posted the pictures, but uh, the video interviews are just uh, about to be finished to, to be edited. And they will be uh, uploaded and published maybe in the next day or so on the Global From Asia Facebook page as well. So look out for those. And while I was talking with just one example, I'll share with you guys. 
I was uh, talking with one startup from Mongolia called Shopee dot Shopee S H O P P Y dot M N. That's a platform. It's it's the most successful and biggest uh, e-commerce platform in Mongolia. And I was just talking with them. I was trying to. Uh, so they're they're like what they're like the Amazon of Mongolia. Uh, more like yeah, just a platform. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for example, you want to sell in Mongolia. You would just maybe like a Shopify more than Amazon. It's not like an auction. It's more like a platform. So uh, you want to sell your products into uh, Mongolia. You would you would use it. You would uh, promote it, promote them on, on their on their platform. So I was talking with them, uh, trying to to see what they were on, getting more information from them. And while uh, while talking with them, the uh, the CEO he just uh, asked me, "Hey, would love to interview you because you you seem a very interesting guy. Have a lot of." Uh, uh, feed, good feedback and stuff. So, what you want to interview me? I thought it would be just just be uh, just a few uh, a short, you know, testimonial or whatever. And 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 then they they turned around, an entire TV crew, like five, four people with real professional cameras and stuff. They said said, "What is this for?" I said, "Well, this is going to be airing for for Bloomberg Mongolia. It's going to air in um, in early August. So, the entire country of Mongolia." We'll see it on Bloomberg in Mongolia. I was blown away because I was not expecting that. So these are kind of things that you will experience. Yeah, you got to you got to find that you got to find that clip. Like oh yeah, it has to be on. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, whenever they post it. Yes, yeah. and and they and they did the clip using their own professional uh, equipment and crew. So I took him because it was too too noisy uh, where their booth was located. So I took them to the media center because with Mike we're able to get uh, with Mike McKinley we're able to get uh, uh, media passes. So I took them to the media section. We were able to get a quiet place for interview. It, it looked very professional with a crew and, and all the signs behind us. So, and and they they said that they will send it to me uh, in the next day or so. so. As soon as I have it, they will be uploaded on the Global from Asia Facebook page as well as the uh, the blog and uh, and of course you can you can link link it for your for your listeners as well. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. Um, I know you don't want to talk too much about the watch, but I wanted to ask some more practical sure. questions around that. So like in terms of, obviously you guys, this is a high-end yes. watch. Was it a pre-existing product? Did you guys design it yourselves? Uh, no, actually um, the, uh, the founder the is is is, uh, is one of the uh, the best friends of Lucien. He, he did a Kickstarter for, for the watches. They did very well. And... Um, so the watches have been doing so well that they also now been selling uh, at a at a, at a retail shop in Hong Kong, and uh, now expanding in other cities around Asia. And uh, through Lucian's con- connection with that uh, that person, we were able to get uh, exclusive rights for Amazon.com and dot ca. So uh, we're very excited about that. And uh, yes, it's, uh, the deal is done, but because we we're not yet on Amazon, I'd rather not disclose the. Uh, the brand, but um, later on, no problem. But for now, I'd rather we not. can always we can always yeah we can always put the link up on uh, on the website later. Yes, on. later. On. But these are very nice, when, when uh, nice high end German watches, um, automatic as well as mechanic. And um, for those that are that know high end watches with a tool beyond, which is the very high end uh, watches that uh, that do not require battery and can last for up to twenty years. Uh, you know, very high, nice watches. The kind of watches so, that you would be very proud not only to wear yourself but pass it on to 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 family or and, to your kids and all that. Yeah. So, so the way it works is basically you're buying it from that person, yeah. right? Like you're not you're not buying it directly. From, no, no, no. From the no, factories, no. right? So he handles all yeah. of that stuff to manufacture. Yeah. And these are not watches made in get. China; they are made in Germany. So this is very this is very high end watches. So that's why we're very excited. The brand is very strong, very re- reliable, very uh, recruitable. So I was helping Mike with uh, at the event and also doing some other projects with Mike. As as I mentioned in my message to you the other day, I've been I've been an entrepreneur for all my life and always wanted to learn. Especially, I, I love marketing. So I've been geeking out on anything to do with uh, with sales funnels, and I've been devouring anything I could find from the king of funnels, which is Russell Brunson. I have all his books, all his courses, videos, podcasts, you name it. So I've been 
geeking out for the past year and for the past six months, uh, since I had my ClickFunnels account, I've been building uh, a sales funnel even for fun for all types of businesses. And now after six months of playing with it, experimenting on my own just for fun, I feel that, um, you know, word is getting out and I'm, I feel confident now and that people are approaching me now to help them with the sales funnel. I've, I've started building a funnel for, for the Sissitano business, um, just a basic, you know. Which is, uh, which is Michael yes. Lini's, like coffee. Yeah, right? I was involved with that because the, yeah, I was involved with that because the name Sissitano and all that, I was, uh, it was my inspiration. But uh, yeah, I'm helping them with just a, First, testing a basic landing page to capture the email from Amazon. So I started a Facebook campaign, but still trying to, to as we say, to um, basically to cook the pixel, get as much data as possible on, on the pixel on that. But we're tweaking, we're learning in the process as well. So it's taking time, testing different ads and, uh, and, uh, and all that. So doing that and being approached also by other people to help them with the sales funnel. So... Now I'm trying to uh, balance my time with, between the watch business, the, for our business, and helping people. So trying to find the right balance for that. So yeah, I really enjoy building funnels. I want to become as best as I can in, when it comes to, to a sales funnel. I want to focus on that because that's what my passion is and uh, for marketing. And, and, and also because every business needs a sales funnel. Every business, doesn't matter whether you are a one, one-man band or a multinational, then that's what a sales funnel basically provides. And uh, yeah, so, and also it's a great way to test new products for any e-commerce businesses. And so yeah, so there's tremendous benefits and advantages to sales funnels. I'm not going to talk too much about that, but... Uh, if people, people, they can do their own research and they will find out that uh, once you start implementing a sales funnel inside your business, it has the potential to really take your business to the next level. What made you decide to get into sales funnels? Well, I've been trying to, to see what skill could I learn that would be actually really uh, useful and valuable. So I, I started first learning with, you know, uh, Facebook ads. And then once you get into that world, Obviously, you learn about what's really hot, what's really working, and and at the time there was nothing hotter than than sales funnel and click funnels. And I get into that, I got sucked into that world, and now I'm all in and became I'm almost like a, like a walking you know ambassador for them because I swear by that. I, I do everything through a funnel, even trying to to talk to 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 our partners that hey, we don't need a Shopify website. We just can, can do everything to a to a sales funnel. So, um, because I do see the potential of a sales funnel, it's, uh, it tremendously increases the conversion rate on, on, uh, on, uh, on the traffic. It makes the, the ad spending much more uh, efficient because if you're driving traffic directly from Facebook or Google or Amazon, there's no way for you to, to control the, the, the leads or, or, or capture leads where with this you can do it. And also you can very easily increase the um, the average card order using a sales funnel, which is not very con- well, can be done on Shopify, but it's quite expensive and not as efficient as on on, on a sales funnel or click funnel. So uh, f- for me, and for anyone who understands sales funnels, it's a no brainer. It's it's a way to go. It's a smart way to to uh, basically uh, maximize your, your ad spent and get the best ROI on your business. Yeah, no, we're we're just getting into uh, YouTube ads right okay. now in the past couple. How is that working for you guys? So, uh, I mean, it's early days, okay. so like we're still tweaking. I'm I'm working with Mark, who's uh, somebody that helps. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you met Mark Ramos. Uh, is he involved with Mike as well? I think there's one Mark Ramos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I met him in Hong Kong yeah. um, about a month or two months ago. Yeah, sounds like a good guy. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we, it's early days. So like we've been testing, tweaking, you know, making adjustments. But I mean, we're driving traffic towards a specific towards our on the factory floor okay. videos. Um, yeah. So it's a series that I do where I go and like I either interview a factory boss or like I do, I give a review on mm-hmm. a factory. Um, and yeah, no, it's it's been it's 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 improving. Like every day, That's every good. week, it's improving yeah. and like. It's it's interesting because I'm just learning the process through him. So mm-hmm. like I've been asking him certain questions. Like I asked him the other day. I noticed that we weren't like uh, we weren't advertising to the U.S. and Canada. We we're ad- advertising to the U.S. only. Oh, and wow. I was like, in my mind, mm-hmm. 
I feel like the U.S. and Canada are like the same, exactly. in my, like in terms of sure. marketing, right? So I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, why aren't we just out of curiosity? Why aren't we, you know, uh, trying to trying to advertise to Canada? He's like, the behavior between Canada and the U.S. is very different when it comes to this this kind of stuff. Like he even said, the behavior within the U.S. is different. Like different parts of the country behave very differently. Okay. So it's better to like test the U.S. first and then even niche down into different states in the U.S., focus on different states. And then, yeah. you know, then have a separate ad for like Canada. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. It's like little things like that. Yeah. You know, uh, so that's part of what I'm hoping from this experience is learning from him. And then obviously, obviously making more money from getting more leads. Um, yeah, sure. So it's been, it's, yeah. So we're, we're going down that route of mm-hmm. improving the email funnel and, and all that stuff, re- redesigning. The yeah. Website. One thing for you guys that would help you also, I don't know if you guys are doing it, is running webinars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something that I want to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of whole, this whole thing is imp- improving the conversions on the website, mm-hmm. getting more leads, building up our email list, yeah. and then eventually I'm going to start doing I used to do webinars for EC. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to do webinars for EC all the time. So like, I, do, I definitely see the, yeah. the benefit. Yeah, for both of that, whether it is to build a business, to build an email list, to improve, drastically improve your conversions, or even especially for a webinar, there's no better thing than, yeah. than, than, than a sales funnel. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, um, having now spent all this time in China and Hong Kong, what is what would you say is your biggest success so far in business? In business success, uh, I would say more. It's in terms of uh, personal growth. Uh, you become much more well-rounded. Like when I first went to China, I was all extremely optimistic, all nothing can go wrong and all that. And then when you get into the reality of what it is to live in China. And also that's one, one thing that one of the weaknesses of the back and it's not, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a, a critic. It's just like an observation that I found myself and other people that I met as well about both the elevator life and enter China. Is that they were only mm. emphasizing on on the on the positives of China, but not mentioning at all or barely the negatives, the downsides of living in China, the challenges. That was not really talked about at all. It's not that China is perfect; no place is perfect. However, those people need to know also that about the challenges that you will face. And these are the kind of thing that I wasn't expecting uh, when I first went to China because those were not covered on on the elevator life or on. on uh, on into China, uh, and I did mention. Yeah, I think I think as I think with the elevator life specific, well, the videos. Mm-hmm. I think it was like they were a little bit restricted because they had Chinese business partners. Yeah. So some some of their business partners used to watch yeah. their videos. Yeah. Because I remember specifically there was one video that they made, which was like dating Chinese girls oh, yeah. or whatever. What it is it? What is it like to date Chinese girls? And I could tell watching that video that they were holding back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I could tell that they were like being very careful about what they said mm-hmm. because they're worried about their reaction. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was amazing because all this positive positivity was what, what pushed me on the edge and, and to booking that, that first initial trip to China and then eventually to making the move, not just for me, but also all the other people and scores of other people that have, you know, uh, made the decision to go to China as a result of those videos, and for ninety-nine percent of the people that made the move to China, it was it was uh, a very successful, positive move. So that was very helpful. However, it would have been also good to man- to prepare people at least to say, "Hey, no place is perfect. Yes, it's, there's tremendous uh, uh, positives and advantages, but be aware of the uh, of the challenges and negatives." And that's something that wasn't that that covered or very lightly covered. And and those are kind of things that I experienced myself, and that those were quite challenging at times, like dealing with the Chinese and being, uh, you know, we all had our TIC day. This is China day, where everything that can go wrong goes wrong, yep. you know. Uh, Hashtag TIC. TIC, exactly. Oh. So again, that's uh, that was uh, for me the biggest. Uh, to come back to your question, the biggest uh, success I would be personal growth on being able to. To, to cope and handle and overcome those moments, to be more patient. A lot of times, for example, initially, when something would go unexpectedly or not get what I wanted to, and keep in mind, I lived in eight countries on four continents. So it's not my first rural deal, so to speak. I lived in many different countries, and I speak many languages. 
even for someone like me, it was quite a challenge. At first, I would just basically uh, uh, go nuts or, or you know, blow up. And I had to, to, to control myself, bite my <laughs> tongue, you know. <laughs> Seriously. A lot of time I would just go off on them and just, you know, give them a, a big piece of my mind right, right, right away. And I'm not that kind of guy normally. I'm very, you know, quiet, uh, you know, peaceful guy. But sometimes they would really get to my nerves and I would just lash on to them. Give him a real piece of my mind, mm. at least initially. But then I had to control myself, learn that, hey, it's not their fault. It's just that they operate from a different uh, modus operandi. It's a different mindset, different everything mentality. So you have to learning mm. to, to see things from the other person's perspective. And that's something that I, that is a vital and crucial component to, to, uh, to uh, not only to succeeding, but to surviving in China. Just to surviving, you need that. Otherwise, you will not last long. Like for example, one time I went to one of my last, uh, you know, uh, visa runs around Christmas. Uh, I was attending an event in Hong Kong, uh, a crypto event, and we finished around midnight. So I rushed back to to cross the border to Shenzhen. I didn't have enough time to to change my, my Hong Kong dollars into RMBs. You know, in Hong Kong, you just go to any any of the uh, millions of. Uh, uh, exchange places, you just give them money, they give you back the exchange without no question asked in 10 seconds, literally. So, and, mm. and when I get back to Hangzhou, I went to the bank and it took me an entire afternoon. I had to, of course, I had to bring my passport and I wasn't changing a lot of money, like maybe 3,000 Hong Kong dollars back into RMBs. It took an entire afternoon. It took, uh, you know, they had to call the head office, they had to call the bank's manager. It was beyond ridiculous. I had to fill so many paperwork. It was a joke. At the end, I just lost it on them. I said, what kind of... You think this is not how a first world country would operate. Even in Africa, you would not see that. You know? I just lost it, man. I just lost it. But, you know, it's extremely frustrating. Extremely <laughs> frustrating. Yeah. Well, I say, I say uh, that one of the biggest lessons, or well, the biggest lesson whenever people ask me, uh, what's the biggest lesson you learned from mm-hmm. business li- living in China is patience. Exactly. Patience and patience biting is, your tongue. is the biggest lesson. Biting right. your tongue. Not only in China, but also has helped me when, for example, you talk with someone, there's a misunderstanding or somebody does something that you don't like. Normally, you would just lash onto them. But here, because of what I learned in China, what I experienced in China, I'm able to contain myself, literally bite my tongue, uh, talk to 10 in my mind, take a deep breath and just reassess the situation and then, and then, uh, and then, and then, uh, behave in a different way. And that saved my, my back. And so many times you cannot even imagine that. That was a very, that's an, an absolute, it's, it's a game changer. If you can control your emotions, control, uh, your, your, what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, the message you're going to convey, that can be a deal breaker, uh, deal maker, or deal breaker. It's it's an absolutely amazing skill to have. Just just quickly backtracking mm. to the, the the feedback you gave Inter China. So is is the issue that they didn't talk so much about the difficulties of living in China? Because I feel like they spoke a lot about the difficulties of business in China. The the, the, the negatives, like for example, we, well, I'm not going to get too much into uh, controversial things, but you know the Chinese have a tendency of saying one thing to your face and doing the complete opposite thing in real life, you know, you know, or, or, or over-promising, uh, promising and under-delivering, especially when dealing with factories and stuff. Uh, yeah, I think they, I think, I think they did kind of cover it though. Cause I mean, I was, you know, I think there's specific, like Nick has mm. uh, videos about the Chinese. Yes. And yeah. you know, those are, there was a lot of, there's a lot of stuff about factory, like what happens with factories and how you have to be careful. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think they talked as much about the negatives of yeah. Other other negative aspects. Uh, I can think of maybe, for example, um, you know, a lot of things that you day day to day experiences that are very different in China compared to there. So they don't get me wrong. They were an absolute mm-hmm. uh, you know wealth of not, uh, ex, uh, you know information for me. They were the main reason why I made the first move to China. I mean, first trip to China. They've been absolutely amazing, but I would have loved to have a little bit more of the of the negatives of uh, of living in China because mostly they were painting a very rosy, uh, beautiful, perfect mm. picture. 
you know, and, yeah. and, and from 99% of the time, it was, it was, even for me, despite all of it happened, I would not change anything back. Mm. I would still do it because it was an amazing learning experience. I grew up so much as a person you, through that experience you, than anything else. So it was an amazing. Do you think, par- do you think part of it is also the city that you lived in? Yes. Because I mean, I noticed I noticed differences between Hangzhou and Guangzhou. Oh, yes. I noticed differences between Guangzhou and Shenzhen. Oh yes, you know, the city so, has a big impact. Also, yes, the people in Hangzhou, mind you, yeah. they're very, by Chinese standard, they're very civilized, educated, uh, respectful. Like for example, when you cross the street, they will stop for you. Unlike in Guangzhou, at least last time they would not do it. Uh, they they well behaved in, in Hangzhou, but still they very have they have a uh, very provincial mindset they they will uh, mm-hmm. they, they're not as because Hangzhou is despite the claim of being uh, it's it's not as exposed yeah, exactly to it's not it's not Guangzhou like Shenzhen yeah, I mean the only reason why yeah, the only reason why Hangzhou has a lot of business going on is mainly because of Alibaba, Alibaba and, and, the, and the Alibaba history back to to yeah. uh, to uh, Marco Polo because there's a lot of businesses that came back and yeah. they're still uh, banking on that from a marketing marketing side yeah no, it, it, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Hangzhou is a beautiful city, but it's a very uh, traditional Chinese city. The people are very more very traditional. It's not like you know, very cosmopolitan and very you know, um, like in Guangzhou, Shenzhen, or, or Shanghai, or Beijing. I would still recommend it, but more Hangzhou would be more for someone that either speaks Chinese or someone that you know uh, wants to completely. You know, immerse of themselves into a pure Chinese <laughs> experience. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like say for that. example, the first year I was going from from my apartment to my to my the school I was working as a football coach. Every day I was taking the same same path, and every day the, the all the the sellers, the businesses, each time I was passing, they would look at me as if Jesus had appeared in front of them. They would just stop. The head would turn, the mouth wide open. Yeah. <gasps> why? Why go red? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I would just wave at them, <laughs> yeah. wave at them. Hey, ni hao, ni hao, ni hao. That's all I knew in Chinese. Ni hao, ni hao, you know? Sa. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was funny. It was hilarious. But, you know, I'm sure you've been there, you know? <laughs> you've experienced that. Oh, no. I mean, even literally last, surprisingly, last night, uh, we went to, after we had dinner, we went to the IFC. Because, mm-hmm. um, our marketing intern Luke hadn't been there before, uh-huh. so I was like, "Let's go up to the Four Seasons. You have a look at the view and all that." So we were leaving. We didn't stay long. We just went to look at the view. So we were leaving, and then there was like a there was like two or three Chinese guys standing in front of us. I could already tell that they were from out of town. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and they were not staying at the hotel just because of the way they're. You know that like provincial yes, look yes. of like the. It's kind of like a suit, but it's like a very cheap, Funky suit, yeah. baggy. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like the dark ones is like black or yeah, gray. Yeah, in, in, in Canada, um, we call it, in Toronto, we call them a Gino style, if you know what I mean. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like I saw them and I was like, these dudes are from out of town. Yeah. And then for sure, like two minutes later, we're waiting for the elevator. And then the guy tried to sneak a recording of me and, and the two interns that I was hanging out with. And I was like, <laughs> man, it's been a while since somebody fucking secretly recorded me in Guangzhou. Like, you guys are definitely not from Guangzhou. Like, <laughs> okay. yeah, no, it happens. And then I used to live in, I used to live in, um, in Haiju okay, area. Wow. And I was like in a, I was literally in a village <laughs> on the, like the subway line. Yeah. I think it's called Li Jiao. Okay. And when I got off of it, like, I mean, it's funny because the subway is so sophisticated and clean or whatever. And oh, you yeah. get off of the subway and then I'm like deep in a fucking village in, in Guangzhou. And yeah, that place every day, like I was, there was like three foreigners in the, in the area, every day was like what you're talking about. You're walking around, everyone's looking at you. Kids are like, ah, oh, ni hao, hi. You know, like all this stuff on a daily yeah. basis. And yeah, no, it was deep immersion oh, for yeah. me for the first eight months. Complete. Um, so closing questions. Uh, what is the smallest thing you've done that's brought you the largest results? Being able to say no. Because a lot of people try to get your attention and try to do things for them. You will be thrown. Uh, you will have a lot of opportunities thrown at you. People trying to present you with multitudes of you know opportunities, and the the the, the ability to to say no can be a life changer because 
you cannot you have to be very selective with what you say yes to you say yes to otherwise you will completely run out of time everybody wants your time but you, you, the one thing that nobody can buy back is time and you have to be extremely extremely you know selective so that's thing i used to say yes to everybody before everything i'll say yeah sure no problem no problem mm-hmm. i just wanted to be nice and say and be good to people because i love helping people i love to be you know just be nice and that was uh, that has played me quite a lot of bad, bad experience because of that. But uh, being in China, especially uh, going to what I went through, that also taught me to be able to say no. And being able to say no, that's, that's, that, that's I would say that's, that's, that's a very important skill that every, not just businessmen, but every human being has to be able to, to, to say and to do, to, 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 to respect and prioritize their own time, their own projects and, just because there's not enough time in, in the day. And as far as we know, currently, technology doesn't allow us to clone ourselves. You know, so there's so much you can do. You have to be able to say, say no. What are three books, podcast blogs that you'd recommend people listen to, read, uh, if they wanted to get to know you better? Uh, to know me better? Well, I haven't written any book yet, but I, I would love, I have a plan to write a book in, in the future. But uh, I love reading books. Ever since I was a kid, I would uh, read at least a book a month. But lately, I've been too busy. The last great book I read—it's a book that is—I'm sure it's a classic. It's 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 uh, the book uh, that is called um, uh, "The Slight Edge." The Slight Edge is one book that's mm. absolutely amazing for me. It's the small little details, small little decisions that you that you that you do and take, but also the small little things that are easy, e- equally as easy not to do. That will just like uh, have an exponential effect on your life. That's what I've been, uh, you know, reading it, rereading it again, and and trying to implement those very sage, uh, uh, you know, wisdoms from that book. So that's a book I would recommend to everyone. The Slight Edge. A lot of it is common sense, but sometimes we need, you know, a reminder of those common senses to to actually put them into practice. Uh, so the Slight Edge, yeah. Slight Edge. Um, could be podcasts, could be blogs. Well, I have uh, a lot of different. Uh, right now, I have quite a few uh, different t- style of podcasts I'm listening. Uh, obviously, I uh, I listen whenever I can, whenever there is uh, an update. Your podcast, I like it because I'm very still very connected with with the Chinese uh, market and e-commerce. So I I do I I listen to that a lot. You have a great podcast, I have to say. One of the podcasts I listen to the most is the amazing seller Amazon. Everybody knows it, Scott Volker. Uh, I love the, the Capitalism uh, podcast by uh, Ryan Daniel Moran. Absolutely amazing guy when it comes to e-commerce. Oh, one of the podcasts I really enjoy that is not as uh, as as mentioned as popular. It's Social Media Marketing by Michael Stelzner. This guy has one of the best content-packed podcasts. He talks about anything to do with social media, online marketing, businesses. And just applying common sense uh, approach to business. That's a podcast I would highly recommend to everyone. Again, it's called The Social Media Marketing by Michael Stelzner. I have, I have at least 20, 30 podcasts on my phone. Um, I devour podcasts nonstop. But these are the ones I would recommend. Again, I also have uh, Frank Kern, obviously, classic. Grant Cardone and all those guys. So depending on what you like, I, I, I'm, I'm big into marketing and those. So... And of course, Russell Brunson. So that's my personal favorite podcast. So depend on what each person is interested in. But the beautiful thing is a lot of great, great podcasts nowadays on every sub- subject you can imagine. So, and I would say it's much more, much more useful to listen to podcasts than music. Don't get me wrong, I love music, but we gotta. It's always like think of listening to a podcast like the way you would you would feed your body. Your body needs food. You eat, but your mind also needs food, not only to 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 uh, to maintain it, but also to to expand the realm of what's possible. It, it opens your eyes to what's possible, what's achievable. So that's why I I consume podcasts on nonstop. Even when I'm doing my own work, I have always a podcast running on the background. And then, um, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to talk about? I think we've covered it all. But again, the most important thing is, especially if you want to do business in, in China and Asia, but also any, anything business-related, you got to be able to control yourself, control your, your reactions, control your emotions, bite your tongue from time to time. 
and you have to cultivate the the skill of saying the ability to be able to say no. That's going to be an increasingly more and more important thing to do, not only to because there's so much time that that we have, and you have to be selective because otherwise everybody's going to try to chip away and steal some of your time. So you have to be very selective and the power to say no is one of the most important things that someone can uh, can cultivate. In a perfect world, where do you see yourself in the next one, two, three years? Well, I would, well, first of all, I want to, uh, to, uh, to start and expand this watch business and brand to, uh, to as big as we can. We have uh, big, big goals, big plans. We want to take it to all around the world, multiple, multiple platforms, offline, uh, online, and really take it huge. And also, I want to be able to to help other businesses, especially when it comes to the sales and, and marketing with my sales funnel skills. But eventually, I want to to start my own. Um, my own brand, my own brand. I love, especially anything to do with football because football is my passion, is my life, is my goal. If I can find a way to get into football in a a, a meaningful way, that's something that for me would be the ultimate thing. All right. If people want to reach out to you, how can they they get in contact with you? I would say my my email, uh, the best email to reach me at, it's, uh, I'll give my... Lorenzo at uh, globalfromasia.com Awesome. Man, so yeah, it's, like you said, it's been two hours. This is uh, the end of part two. Wow. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Pleasure, man. Absolutely pleasure. I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. I've been listening to your show um, all, anytime I can. So just keep it up, man. You're crushing it. And let me know when next time you come to Hong Kong, we'll link up. It, sh- it will be sooner than you think. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> I might just, uh, might just take you up on that. All right, guys, uh, thanks for listening. Of course, you should drop us some reviews on iTunes. Reach out to Lorenzo. As he mentioned, all of the information, that all the books, all the contact information is going to be on the website. If you want to check that out, that's sourcefinasia.com slash made in China. If you want to reach out to us, that's podcast at sourcefinasia.com. And of course, you should check out the YouTube channel, Source Asia, all one word. Cheers. Thank you. Don't succumb to hate, overcome hate with love